On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler, and we're here to talk about drawdown and portfolio strategies. Welcome. Let's start with an overview of tax reform for investors. So individual rates have changed, and we now have seven brackets. We retain seven brackets, basically. And that's, that's an awfully good thing, okay? That's, that's an awfully good thing, and that it does, it gives you plenty of opportunity to, to plan. Now, the planning would have been a little bit less if there were only four brackets. Standard deductions at 24,000, personal exemptions were repealed. There is now a tax credit, which has been increased, a family tax credit. The AMT has essentially been completely phased out. And our SALT deduction is limited to $10,000. Now, the first thing this says is that many of our retired clients that are in drawdown, in a drawdown stage, are going to itemize every two or three years. So that's the first thing you'll have to wrap your mind around, is a strategy that allows people to itemize every other year or every third year. Now, a big component of that will be doing your charitable giving either through qualified charitable distributions from IRA accounts or in the alternative, using donor advised funds. And maybe every third year we put a boatload of securities into a donor advised fund and then we take a deduction in that year. In the other two years we do not itemize, use the donor advised fund to do your charitable giving in the meantime. So donor advised funds will be a cornerstone of drawdown strategies for clients that are also charitably inclined. Mortgage interest deduction, 750 is the limitation on a new house, and the P's limitation has been repealed. Now tax reform overview for investors. The estate tax exemption is doubled, but that sunsets on December 31st, 25. So that's a very complicated thing, because what do you do in the meantime? Now, certainly in November and December of 2025, if we haven't given away the extra exemption, which is about to sunset, people will be giving that away. Uh, there is also a step-up in basis that has been retained at death, and no changes there. The corporate tax rate's been reduced to 21%, lower tax liability for certain pass-through entities because of a Section 199 Cap A deduction, and also increased expensing of certain capital items. Like-kind exchanges of real property have been, um, are still in the code, but personal property can no longer be subject to a like-kind exchange. Now, one of the things that could influence drawdown strategies is the code has added something called an opportunity zone, which when you sell securities, if you invest that money into an opportunity zone, you can defer the taxation on the sale of those securities. Very, very powerful. A 20% historic rehab credit uh, can now be claimed over 10 years. However, now that's for historic building. The pre-1936 building, that credit has been repealed completely. So uh, basically we're looking at tax rates uh, beginning at 10%. 12%, 22%, 24%, 32%, 35 and 37. While, while there's still seven brackets, the breadth of those brackets has changed. And when you're working on drawdown strategies with investors, you're going to be trying to do more Roth conversions than before, or more Roth drawdown, or 
IRA drawdown because remember how once I die, my wife will be in a single bracket for a fairly long period of time. If she lives another 10 years and you do not want her crushed under the weight of the RMDs for my IRA. Uh, now, estate and trust rates have also changed. Um, a fair amount of wealth is tied up into states and trusts, so it's important for financial planners to know that the maximum rate on a trust going forward is 37%. Remember, when you make distributions from trust to beneficiaries, that carries out DNI, and the beneficiaries will then pick that up on their own returns. The AMT exemption, pretty much, AMT is pretty much a thing of the past because now your exemption for a married couple has jumped from 84,500 to 109,400 and the, the phase out, so you have a phase out that doesn't begin until a million dollars. So you're basically not gonna be phasing out until you have a million dollars of income. So that is a, that's on the critical path as far as things that we really need to understand. That means almost no one, unless you have major ISO exercises, or maybe you're doing oil and gas investments, otherwise you're not gonna have any exposure to the AMT on a going forward basis. So that's an important thing. Now, unimplemented proposals, some of the things uh, very quickly you do not have to worry about is no FIFO basis accounting, no changes to the taxation of interest income, the NIT was not repealed, the AMT was not completely repealed, private activity bonds, no changes there, no changes on the sale of a home, step up and basis is still very much in place under the law. The five year, there's a five year rule for inherited IRAs, that, never, that proposal never came to fruition, and there was no Rothification. Uh, section 199 Cap A, Basically, that is the new 20% deduction for qualified small business income. And the problem with that is once somebody's income exceeds $315,000, they no longer receive that deduction. So once they exceed that amount, they're no longer gonna receive that deduction. Now, a major planning idea going forward for small businesses may be to transfer interest in those businesses into trusts. And that's because a single person and a trust receives a threshold exemption from the wage and capital testing under Section 199 Cap A to the extent of the first $157,500 of income. Married couples, that number, it comes in at 315. So that number will come in at 315. Now for investors, the 199 deduction will also apply to REITs, and publicly traded partnership interests, um, which could be interesting because if you're heavy into REITs, you just received a break where instead of paying tax at 37%, you're now paying tax at 29.6%. So that's important. Real estate owners also are gonna be eligible for the 199 cap A deduction. So all whether it's an S-Corp, a C, whether it's an S-Corp, a partnership, a sole proprietorship, a real estate interest, or a REIT or publicly traded partnership, they're all gonna be able to receive this deduction, but the computations are gonna vary from entity to, to entity. So when we get into drawdown, 
the basic concepts are tax structure, determining the mix of taxable investments, tax-deferred investments, and tax-free investments. So that, that will be something that's important. Now, um, one of my friends, Greg Holgram, said it better than anyone. He called this tax me now, tax me later, or tax me never. So your Roth IRA would be the tax-free group. Your interest income would be in the taxable group. And tax deferred would be things like regular IRAs or annuities. Now, asset location. Strategically, that is how we decide what are we going to put in our IRA account, what are we going to put in our brokerage account, what will we put in our Roth IRA account. Now, tax-sensitive asset allocation is you do your asset allocation on an after-tax basis, not a pre-tax basis. Then bracket management, this is where real drawdown value can be added, is by timing income and expenses on a year-by-year -year basis so as to minimize overall income taxes. And tax alpha is basically the improvement in portfolio returns produced by efficient income tax management. So for the financial advisors and CPAs that are going to be helping people with drawdown, um, you do have to take a step back after tax reform and say, how does the new breadth of brackets, um, how does that affect things? How does the fact that REITs can get a lower tax rate or real estate can get a lower tax rate, how does all that come together? Let's talk about tax structure. Tax structure basically involves looking at the age of the client, the sources of income, cash flow requirements, and the current and future tax rates. Now, typically asset location, the simple blocking and tackling is the common logic is to put income assets in the, in the IRA and then to put Roth assets or growth assets in your Roth IRA. If we had to take that a step further, what we would do is stocks like Procter & Gamble, you would hold in your brokerage account Stocks that are going to grow a lot, you would hold in your Roth IRA account. And bonds you would put in your IRA because that income, you can defer that income. So that would become a very important part of your overall drawdown strategy. I do have a chart in here we've updated um, for the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. You've seen this chart before. Um, but we basically go through every type of income you have you could have and how is that impacted by the tax losses so if you look at things like interest income are currently taxable it makes it very hard to create wealth in the united states when you earn a dollar of income but you pay 30 or 40 cents in tax on the other hand if you can position yourself into pensions where you get deferral real estate and oil and gas where they're very large tax breaks and Roth IRAs and insurance where, again, there's very large tax breaks. Now, so drawdown strategies. We want to pay very close attention to the tactical timing of income and deductions, recognizing that most of your clients will, that will not itemize every year anymore. They simply cannot deduct their state income taxes. So if you do not have a mortgage and your charitable gifts can be controlled through a donor advised fund, and you can time all that out, 
many very wealthy people will not itemize, and you'll have them itemizing every second or third year. And we also want to understand the thresholds where tax benefits are lost. And for example, and this is kind of a bottom of the market type thing, but taxation of Social Security benefits. Financial planners often spend a lot of time determining exactly how, to, how much to draw out of an IRA to make sure uh, that my Social Security benefits are not taxed. Now, tax alpha, that involves low turnover strategies, strategic gain and loss harvesting, and basically we want to understand statutory tax shelters. The statutory tax shelters are things like Roth IRAs, life insurance, regular IRAs, annuities. Real estate, I would say, is a statutory tax shelter. Oil and gas is a statutory tax shelter. Now, naturally, with oil and gas, you, I, I don't say that lightly. I think you have to be very careful. Um, and if a client wants to do anything big with oil and gas, it probably is a wise idea for their CPA to reach out to a CPA in Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, somebody with deep, deep expertise um, in the world of oil and gas, not to look at it from a tax perspective, but to um, maybe even bring in a petroleum engineer or a um, geologist that can look at things that we wouldn't begin to understand. You know, is, is there really oil and gas under, these gr under the ground, or is this just a sham? Now, uh, Roth conversions, um, tax reform did repeal the ability to recharacterize a Roth conversion. That is a major league change in how we're going to approach this. So back right after Roths were passed in the summer of 1997, if my memory is correct, and shortly thereafter, um, they started to allow us to do Roth conversions and, re and recharacterizations, excuse me. And the original intent of the recharacterization was to allow you to reduce your income back under $100,000. Uh, if your income was over $100,000, that meant you couldn't convert, and there needed to be a mechanism to go back into the regular IRA. Shortly after that, um, Barry Picker, a very preeminent CPA from Brooklyn, New York, came up with the idea, wait a minute, we can really use this to our advantage. We can convert, and if it goes up, we can keep it in the Roth. If not, we can recharacterize. That became a leading strategy for the last 20 years that, of course, is gone. Now, creating uh, using trust to save income taxes, one thing that we're, with the advent of not being able to take a SALT deduction, so with the advent of no SALT deduction, we will be using more trust to save state income taxes and to save federal income taxes. And you will be involved with working with completed gift trusts, that are non-grantor trusts and incomplete gift trusts that are also non-grantor trusts. That will become important. Um, if you want to learn a lot more about this, uh, the gentleman that seems to be taking the lead all across the country on this is a gentleman named Steve Oceans um, from Las Vegas, Nevada, O-S-H-I-N-S. Many of you have probably heard him speak. But the goal from a state standpoint would be to put property in a South Dakota, Delaware, Wyoming, Nevada trust, Alaska trust, um, and not pay income tax, state income tax on that property. The secondary goal of this is to possibly save federal income tax. We believe there's going to be opportunities to save tax under 199 by using 
separate grantor trusts, and also under Section 1202 of the Code. So be very much aware of that and put that in the back of your mind. Now remember, um, and maybe I think all of us probably learned this in school, under 643F of the Code, there's a multiple trust rule. And so I could not create 20 trusts for one grandchild. I can create one trust for one grandchild. But if I have 11 grandchildren and four children, I can do some real great planning, especially in the area of Section 199 Cap A. So especially in the area of 199 Cap A. Now on the SALT deduction, the interesting thing that's coming up is almost everyone is in agreement that a trust will receive a $10,000 SALT deduction, just like an individual. And keep in mind, especially for those practitioners in California, um, that 13.3% is really 13.3% now. It used to be more like 13.3 times the reciprocal of the federal tax rate. Not anymore. Okay, So um, trying to save state local taxes will become a big thing going forward. And I think Nevada, South Dakota, Delaware, Wyoming trusts will of course become more, more popular as time marches on. Trusts will be used to save section, or to reduce your wage and capital, or to eliminate your wage and capital test. Because if you can keep a trust income below the 157 threshold, either for a completed gift trust or an incomplete gift trust, that will be a major benefit to you. Because what happens is if, say, grandma and grandpa are sitting with $2 million of income for a real estate up at their, on their return, they have to do wage and capital testing. But if they break that ownership across their four children and 11 grandchildren, the world's a better place because now they don't have to do wage and capital testing. Um, creating trust to save income tax. Um, state and local de deduction, again, we, we do believe that settling a non-grantor trust can create an additional taxpayer and therefore an additional $10,000 SALT deduction. So if you are creating trust for grandchildren anyway, to design those as non-grantor trusts um, may work out very well. You have to run the numbers on that. Portfolio strategies to reduce tax. Um, a lot of blocking and tackling here, life insurance, tax-deferred growth, tax-free death benefits, basis distributions first, um, tax-free loans. You can, when you do take money out, you can leapfrog over high-income years. Uh, same thing with annuities, except the annuity, obviously, there's, the death benefit is taxable. And, um, but when you take money out of an annuity, you have prorated basis return to you if you annuitize the, the instrument. Portfolio strategies to reduce income tax. Now, low turnover, like if somebody buys things like the QQQs or SPY, um, that is going to reduce your cost, of course. Now, the argument there is that in the long run, QQQs or SPY will give you the same or better return than managed money and will um, not have as much cost, okay? So that, that's the primary argument there. So basically, if you look at that over time, the higher your turnover, the lower your return. No, no magic there, okay? That, that's intuitively correct, so we know that. Now, master limited partnerships can also be very effective in reducing tax. 
remember, publicly traded partnerships may qualify uh, for the 199 cap A deduction. So that could make MLPs, or and REITs also would fall into this, much more attractive. Um, not subject to double taxation. Depreciation, other deductions yield shield the majority of distributions from taxation. Remember, you cannot do master limited partnerships in IRAs, um, but it's UBTI. And that means you have to pay tax at the IRA level. That makes no sense. Uh, generally, this provides a high yield and overall return. Um, good, uh, great, you know, for taxpayers focused on yield. Low correlation coefficient with other investments, master limited partnerships, and low beta and low volatility. Remember, people that want to use oil and gas, you have to be very careful. These, you have to be dealing with a very high quality provider. And basically, you are able to take, what happens with oil and gas is up front, you receive a very large deduction for your intangible drilling costs. They call these IDCs. And you also receive depreci some depreciation of equipment later. But at the end of the day, IDCs can often be 60 to 80 percent of the cost of drilling and they're 100 percent deductible in the year incurred with the right elections so that that becomes an important thing um, if you go over 40 percent of your income they become an amt add back so watch out for that so if a client earned two million dollars very hard to wipe all that out with oil and gas uh, because you're going to throw yourself into the amt but you have to run the numbers but to take a and invest four or five hundred thousand in oil and gas that might work very efficaciously. But again, be careful, um, investment quality first, tax benefits second. Now qualified tuition programs, if you have clients who are retired but also working on college education for their grandchildren, 529 plans did become a little bit better because now you can use them for grade school and high school. So the overall contribution limit vary by state. Um, most states provide contribution incentives such as tax deductions, tax credits, or matching grants. Portfolio strategies to reduce income tax. Again, 529 plans, probably one of the bigger strategies we have if you're going to be helping grandchildren with college or even for younger, wealthier people who are going to look to help their own children with college. Now, also remember, and I mentioned, mentioned a moment ago, but I want to come back to it. We can use up to $10,000 for elementary school and high school on an annual basis. So that is a very important part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that change. And remember, rollover strategies. If you have someone that has a 529 plan right now, but they've, they've discovered that that child may never be able to go to college, because they have a disability, then what you're going to do is you're going to put them in some type of ABLE account. And you can actually move the money from a 529 plan directly into an ABLE account. The math on uh, qualified tuition programs is pretty easy. Remember, when you take the money out later, you're not going to pay tax on that. So that becomes a very important element of all this. So you just want that type of deferral. We have covered a lot of ground today. Hopefully I've provided you some valuable insight into how drawdown has changed 
under the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. On behalf of Lineberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler. Thank you for joining us today.